0: I've been tasked to speak to you tonight about how to make disciples, and, and quite honestly, uh, I think it, I, I probably should have been tasked with how not to make disciples, um, because I am not the expert on making disciples. Um, I, I, you know, I've been a pastor for a few years. Uh, making disciples is very, very uh, close to my heart. I, I, I'm about that, but, uh, but I don't get up here by any means, brothers. Uh, claiming to be an expert on the issue, okay? So I just want to throw that out there. Uh, but I mentioned, you know, how not to make disciples. Uh, I thought it might be interesting to um, ask some brothers, some, some uh, pastors and former pastors, if, if they would help me to come up with a top 10 how not to make disciples for you, brothers. Tonight, okay, so you ready for that? Okay, so top 10 ways not to make disciples. 10, primarily discuss political conspiracy theories rather than discussing God and the scriptures. Nine, instruct them to watch more televangelists. Eight, send them away to seminary. Derek, if you're here, sorry about that. I don't think he's here tonight. Seven, refuse to challenge sin because it's uncomfortable. Six, buy them a full complement of Bart Ehrman books. If you don't know who that is, he's a very, very liberal um, scholar. Uh, Number five, pretend that you've got it all figured out and that next to Jesus, you're the man. Four, getting them busy with church jobs as a means to maturity. Three, be overly legalistic and hypocritical, holding others to standards you yourself don't live by and that God doesn't command. Two, invite them to coffee shops, but never into your home. And then one, tell them he has to be circumcised. (laughs) Okay, okay. So now that we've got that out of the way, how not to make disciples, <laughs> right, let's go ahead and look at how to make disciples. Um, so tonight, the, the text that's gonna be informing us is 2 Timothy chapter two, verses one through seven. So if you've got your Bibles, open those, tablets, whatever devices you have, and we're gonna read it. You know what? Um, just to kind of get the blood flowing, I'm gonna have everyone stand if you would. If you're able to stand, please stand with me. That way, when I get boring, you don't necessarily fall asleep because you'll have stood recently. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses one through seven. I realize I'm reading it out of the NIV and I'll actually be quoting it later out of the ESV. But 2 Timothy 2, one through seven. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops." Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Let's pray. God, we, we do beg of you right now to please give us insight into all of this. Lord, we desire to be faithful, to do what you've called us to do. Lord, will you give us just a nugget tonight of, of insight, of wisdom, in how to be better disciple-makers? Thank you, dear Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so go ahead and be seated. Um, I realize that m- most of the way I address this is addressed at the men in here, ladies. Um, and so I apologize about that, but um, just you know, just realize that these are principles that you can apply uh, as well, but just know that it's, it's, I say, pastors and men quite a bit. So, um, so in this passage, there is clear disciple-making instruction. And I'm so glad for that too because when I was given this, this, uh, these verses and I, and I looked at them, I, I had some moments of panic, quite honestly. I didn't see it at, at first, but I, uh, but I came to see it. And I, I even told the guys that were, that were uh, preaching this, these few days, please pray for me because um, I'm, I'm really starting to struggle here. But um, yeah, I was having those moments of panic. And I don't know, brothers, if you've ever been there where you were maybe uh, a young man speaking to much more experienced pastors. Scary place to be, but thankfully I didn't stay there. Uh, It started to come into focus, Um, and as it did, I saw two parts, I saw two parts of what Paul is saying in regards to disciple making, two parts. The first part is what we are to do, the what we are to do. This is where the emphasis is on the one being discipled, so the disciple. This is the action that we, the disciples, take towards, towards the one being discipled. This is the disciple making an action. And then the second part I saw is how we are to do it or how we are to do what we are to do. This is, the, uh, this is where the emphasis is on the discipler. Uh, this is the passive part of making disciples. This is the how we are to be if we are to be making disciples. Disciples. And so I realized that first part, I had, I saw four points. And then the second part, I saw six points. And so we're going to actually do 10 points tonight. (laughs) Um, I'm not trying to show you up, brother, uh, Keon. (laughs) In fact, if you include the 10 points that we just looked at on how not to make a disciple, it'd be 20 points tonight that we're going to (laughs) cover. Yeah. Um, so, but we're, we're going to be looking for quality tonight and not quantity. So don't worry. Um, Okay, so that's kind of the, the, the two parts I see in this. And so the text starts with the what we are to do part, the, the what we are to do part. Paul writes, you then, my child, be strengthened. The instruction that we receive from Paul, which I'm talking about here, is not the command to be strengthened, it's noticing the relationship that he has with Timothy. It's a beautiful relationship. Think about it. What is Paul, the disciple's relationship like with Timothy, the the disciplee, if you will? It's all business, right? He keeps him at arm's length. He keeps him out of his personal space, his personal bubble, right? No, not at all. If this were the case, there, there is no way that he would have called him child because that would offend a grown man if that grown man didn't know how much that person loved him. I mean, I think probably the only one that could get away with calling any of us uh, child or, or beloved child is not here tonight, Roy, right? You know, maybe he could call some of us beloved child, but anyone else, it would be uh, offensive unless we, we knew how much that person cared for us and how much they had poured into us. Paul loved Timothy. He starts off the letter by calling him his beloved child. He says for Timothy to do his best to come to him. He prays for him, he builds him up, he exhorts him, he warns him, he continues to teach him. He loves him in action, in word, and also with affection. And I forgot, by the way, brothers and sisters, to give you a little context. I wanted to start off with a little context. Um, We might already know this, but just by way of reminder, this uh, was written by Paul while he was in Rome, where he was on vacation, right? (laughs) No, he was in jail, he was in chains, and he was not doing so hot he realized that his end was pretty near because in chapter four of this letter, he says that he's already being poured out as a drink offering. And so he wants Timothy to come to him. He asks him to come to him one more time. He wants to see Timothy. And then even more so, he writes because he's just begging Timothy to stand firm, to be faithful in standing against false teaching and to just stand firm and what he is doing, and what he's to be about as a discipler, as one who had the hands laid on. And so a little, um, backing up a little bit there, a little context, okay? Paul loved Timothy, and I believe if we, if we are to be able to speak into another man's life, we must love them. So the first point tonight in what we are to do as disciples is love them. Love them, love the men and women we are discipling. You think Jesus loved his disciples? Yeah, and look at the knuckleheads they sometimes were, right? (laughs) Always falling asleep, always arguing about who was best, abandoning him, denying him, but Jesus loved them so very much. He invited them into every aspect of his life. He prayed for them. He let them ask dumb questions and responded to those dumb questions as if they had asked the right questions. He fed them. He served them, even washing their feet. He called them little children and friends and brothers. He warned them of his imminent death. And then we know what he did. He died for them. Jesus didn't keep his disciples at arm's length. He loved them and invited them to share life with him. I asked a couple guys that I've had the privilege of uh, discipling if they would share anything that they have found to be especially helpful from our times together. Um, And one brother responded and wrote this to, to you all. He addressed it basically to you and then to me at the end. He said this, don't just treat people you disciple as people you disciple. Treat them as friends, as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters. Love them. Bring them into your space and into your life. Help them see that they're more than just a project and that they actually are someone that matters to you. I'd say they'd be more likely to listen to and to be encouraged by someone that they can see demonstratively proving I love you and for that reason I exhort you to blank. In that, it is wise to be patient. People of different backgrounds respond at different speeds, but to allow someone into your real life speaks volumes, whether now or in the future. And to be joined to other believers in love is a very Christian concept. This is one of the things that I've, I see you made efforts to do, and I've only more recently begun to see how valuable that is. There's a lot of wisdom in what this brother wrote, and he's a young man. I'm excited for how God's gonna use him. I think he's 21 now. Um, and so, yeah, so I was, I was encouraged and thankful that he, that he wrote that. And, uh, and I think it goes to prove that point. But we are the IFCA. We are independent, right? Often we like to keep people at a safe distance. You never know when a sheep will bite, <laughs> right? We're fundamental. Sometimes we close our doors a bit so as to keep people on their hair-brained notions from disrupting our easy like-mindedness. And so loving in a real and vulnerable way, brothers, is where a lot of us need to grow. And I think it's crucial that we do because I'm not sure you can disciple a person without loving them. At the core, A disciple of Jesus is one who loves God above all and loves others. So if we don't love those we are discipling, it's as if we are telling them love, while the whole time we are undermining ourselves by not practicing what we're preaching. You know, it's almost like we're telling them love, but then we're shouting, it's not that important. Paul loved Timothy and everything flowed out of that. Develop a love for those your discipling brothers. And love big. Love them like you might love your own child. Love is the pipeline, I believe, that through which they will receive from us. Love is the the bullhorn through which they'll hear what you have to say. Without an inviting and affectionate love, our impact is going to be minimal. So love them is number one. Number two, Show them, show them. Verse two, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering. What's, what's Paul saying here? Well, part of what Paul is saying is that Timothy had seen and heard firsthand what Paul is about and what he teaches And Timothy, he's seen the suffering that Paul has gone through. So what's the point? Timothy knows Paul and has seen Paul live out his faith. Timothy knows firsthand that Paul believes what he's told him. He's not just saying it. He believes it. He believes it because he's seen it. You've heard, do as I say, not as I do, right? Paul would never say that. To Timothy, We should never ever be able to say that in our lives. Paul would tell Timothy just as he told the Corinthians, follow my example even as I follow Christ. That should be us, that should be our hearts. But how tempting would it have been for Paul, this learned and gifted man to simply write, to just simply sit back and write, to hunker down and make his ministry write uh, writing. After all, he wrote some pretty inspired stuff, But that's not what he did. He went. His missionary journeys are epic. He went and modeled Christ's likeness to the churches. He practiced what he preached. He did much of his writing while he was in jail, right, when he pretty much had nothing else to do. Modeling and showing how to be a disciple is central to our ministry. It's central to it. Honestly, brothers, I think that this is so tempting to, for us to, to neglect this. We're talking about modeling it here. We're talking about getting out of the office with those we're discipling with those, to go, and going to those people that are outside of the office in the world and ministering to them with the person we're discipling getting into the real world. We're talking about inviting them into our homes and seeing, letting them see how we really are, how we are with our families. We're talking about then bringing them back into the office and allowing them to see how we lead with love. If you're taking notes, write the word time, time. If you're doing this, this means that you are spending time with them. How much time did Jesus spend with his disciples? He only taught them for a couple hours a day, right? And then sent them home? No, of course not. He was with them nearly 24 seven. He lived his life with his disciples. I think he calls us to live similarly. I'm not saying that we need to, you know, go and have a Christian commune or anything along those lines or have your disciple move in with you. But Jesus was with them all the time. How much time do we give to, to those that we're discipling? an hour a week, and then we, you know, we never invite them to see how we really are or in, into our lives. This is a big change for, for some of us, I think. This is sacrifice. This is being uncomfortable. Most of us probably won't do it. But don't be surprised, brothers, when you're short on elders or there is no one to share the load with you or someone to take over when it's time to hand over the reins. I say that in love. Another way to show them is by sticking with them, not giving up on them. Again, to quote a a disciplee, if you will, somebody that I've had the chance to disciple, he said, well, for one thing, you didn't give up and you didn't let me get away. We had disagreements, but through time, you showed your loyalty and intent to stick around. For someone that's struggling through life in, in some of the ways that I have, that stability and reliability is a great thing to give them, Stick with them, give them your time right now, but expect it to be a long haul. We've gotta show them, we've gotta show them, we've gotta show them how great the water is. We can't be like Tim mentioned last night, the guy that goes, only goes into the water up to their knees, but yells to the disciple, come on in, the water's great, go in real deep. In order to, sh- to, sh- to show them, we need to spend time with them. Now, here's the most obvious one when it comes to disciple-making. Number three, tell them. It's the flip side of verse two. Part of verse two shows us the modeling of truth that Paul did for Timothy, but the flip side is is the telling of truth that Paul did for Timothy. Again, Paul says to his disciple, what you have heard from me, what you have heard from me. We can look at first and second Timothy and be certain of the fact that Timothy heard from Paul, that what he heard from him was sound doctrine, what he heard from him was Christ-exalting truths. Timothy didn't have to assume that's what Paul would have said. Timothy didn't wonder, hmm, I wonder what kind of doctrine Paul has. Timothy heard truth firsthand from his discipler, and he was corrected firsthand by his discipler, wasn't he? A big part of telling and teaching is correcting, right, and warning. Colossians 128, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. But even this is done out of love, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I fully believe that this is the one that we are best at, brothers and sisters. I think this is the one that we're best at, teaching and telling. And it, it is imperative that we continue to be good at that. But since we tend to get this one, I'm gonna move on, okay? This last one might be the least obvious step in disciple making. By the way, you know, this isn't necessarily comprehensive, but this is what I saw in this passage and this is what I believe. The fourth one, release them. Release them. The text says, who will be able to teach others also. I realized on Friday as I spoke to Toby that being a fisher of men is a catch and release sport. (laughs) Paul doesn't tell Timothy to simply hide the scriptures in his heart and to enjoy them selfishly while others are perishing. Paul pours into Timothy so that, Timothy would entrust that to other faithful men, so that they would in turn tell other men. Why? Why? Because Jesus said to go and make disciples of some nations. No, of all nations. And this is the only way it's going to happen, releasing other men to lead. But what if they say something that isn't true? What if they just bomb? But What if people like them better than me? What if, what if, what if? With the exception of the third what if, those are legitimate questions. But let me ask you this. Do you think you've ever said something while teaching that wasn't true, that wasn't completely accurate? Do you think you've ever bombed? There's a lot of women shaking their heads and pointing at their husbands. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, right? Of course. But if you believe that they are a Christian and you believe that they have the Holy Spirit, right, then maybe we need to extend a little grace there. And isn't that what Jesus told his disciples to wait for before heading out to make disciples? He didn't say to wait until you've taken a course, wait till you've gone to seminary, wait till whatever, wait for the Holy Spirit, wait for the Holy Spirit. So don't be afraid to release faithful men to minister in the body. But there is something to be said about not releasing them too fast. You even see this with fish, right? I was thinking about this. When you catch a trout and you spend some time with it, you know, you, like we often do if we're fishing, we catch a trout, we like to take pictures of it so we can show our wives who probably don't care. But we, we, you know, we spend some time with the fish that we caught. Then what do you do with the fish? Do you just toss it in if you're releasing it? No, right, you don't. What do you do, what do you need to do? You have to reintroduce it into the water. Yep, you have to kinda go back and forth so the water goes back through its, its gills. You have to release them carefully. You have to release them slowly so that it can swim on its own. And I thought, wow, that's a really cool picture. So yes, walk with them, encourage them, have their backs, but release them and trust God to use them in his church, not your church, not my church, but his church pour into others and encourage them, help them, push them, and give them opportunities to disciple others. So these are the four main things I see Paul doing with Timothy and exhorting him to do when making disciples. Love, show and tell, and release. Love, show and tell, and release. And by the way, these aren't linear. It's not show, it's not love, then show, then tell, then release. It's Love, show, tell, love, show, tell all the while and then at some point release and then continuing, love, show, tell, release, continuing with that. So that takes us to part two. How are we to do it? How are we to do these things? The, this is where the emphasis is on the discipler, on us. This is the how we are to be as we make disciples. The first thing is be gospel-stoked. Be gospel stoked. This is, I'm not trying to be a hippie. I'm not trying to be, you know, use a 70s uh, slang, you know, for cool. Okay, I'll get, I'll, I'll get to what, it, what I'm really meaning in a second. But look back at verse one. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There is only one thing that can and should ready us for the task at hand a deep understanding and a wholehearted gratitude of the grace that is found only in Christ Jesus, amen? When we recollect the depths from which Christ pulled us up from, when we remember the sin that Christ washed us clean from last week, we have the fuel to light our fires for ministry. This is what did it for Paul. This is absolutely what did it for Paul. Just one sampling, remember what he said in his first letter to Timothy? This is chapter one, verses 12 through 15. He he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. We look to Jesus and what he did and what he continues to do to amp us up. We don't look to other men, no matter how great of theologians or pastors they are, to stimulate us. We savor Christ and his gospel to stoke our fires. And what happens when we allow his, his gospel to reach in there and stoke our fires? What happens? Well, like wood, we burn hotter and brighter for Christ. That's what happens. So be gospel stoked. Let that stoke our fires. Not numbers stoked. Not responsibility stoked. Christ extoked, stoked, those are manifestations of pride. Be stoked by the gospel. Number two, develop disciple discernment. Develop disciple discernment. Again, verse two, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach. Let's recognize that we are talking, what we're talking about here is not your average discipleship, not your average discipleship that every, every Christian needs, We're talking about discipling leaders here. We're talking about discipling leaders. Paul says, faithful men who will be able to teach. While we as pastors can disciple any man, we should be careful and intentional to disciple certain men. Men that have an obvious faithfulness or devotion to Christ, and men that will be able to teach Or lead others. And so we have to train our eye to see these men. They might not be the the jump right in type. They might not be like you and I. Praise God for that, right? We need to look for these men to entrust the deposit that's been made into us so that it doesn't die with us. But on the flip side, we cannot fall into the trap of becoming judgmental while we're doing this where we start seeing brothers as first class or second class, worth our time or not worth our time. Strategic, yes, but understanding that we are all children of the king and we are all members of the same body and all just as needed and valuable. That brings us to the next point. How many, or excuse me, have a one-track mind. Have a one-track mind. How many of you, here have ever been a soldier? Anybody? Okay, okay, a few of our brothers here. So you probably, those few of you guys, you probably totally understand what Paul is saying when in verse four he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. When you are in the military and you are off on an exercise or you're off on a tour, Is your commanding officer willing to share your time and focus, Steve? No. What would happen if during a tour, you stopped what you were doing, flew home, and checked on your family? Yeah. And you'd be considered AWOL, and you'd go to jail, right? You'd be dishonorably discharged, most likely. Your brothers-in-arms would feel betrayed. And let's not even start on your commanding officer and what they would think. We need to remember that we are soldiers and there is a war being raged, waged right around us. And it's a raging war, it's, it's going on big time. And we need more, desperately need more officers and more equipped soldiers in this war. Our jobs are so extremely important. While God allows us to have families and to enjoy life in the midst of the battle, We have to focus on the fact that before we are fathers, husbands, friends, sports fans, et cetera, we are disciple making disciples of Jesus Christ. Just like Tim pointed out, you know, like might look like we hate our families compared to our love and our faithfulness to Jesus. Let's remember that disciple making is what we are about. Study, teaching, meetings, counseling are all to make more and better disciples. Thus, I'd suggest we be careful to not have sacred cows. If if, if there's a ministry, if there's something that we devote a lot of time and energy and strength to, and yet it's taking a lot of time and resources, but it's not fulfilling the purpose, consider cutting it out or devoting less time to it, brothers. We need to, like a soldier, have a one-track mind. The next one, watch Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I think there's two, at least two parts, at least two parts to what is being said here. One, we need to compete in such a way so as not to be disqualified. Remember, this is what Paul did. He said, 1 Corinthians 9.27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself, should be disqualified. What gets an athlete disqualified? Well, besides steroids in our modern era, right? What gets an athlete disqualified? Not competing according to the rules. What are our rules? The law of Christ, that which is clearly mandated in the New Testament, that which the Holy Spirit convicts us of. We're talking about sin. You wanna be a pastor, a fisher of men, You want to win as that obedience, personal holiness is what keeps us in the game. We'll be disqualified even before the race is over if we are not. This is why I go through disciplines of a godly man with each man that I meet with. This is a good book if you've never seen it, Disciplines of a Godly Man. How do we experience personal holiness? How do we lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely? Again, as was already pointed out, looking to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we compete with this personal holiness by keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. And the second part of this verse, I think, is this. As a discipler, we cannot think that we can be more clever in making disciples than Jesus. Have any of you read this book, Smarter Than Jesus? It's a great book. I haven't read it, but I hear it's really good. (laughs) Actually, I haven't read it, but I I did read a bit of it, okay? And the premise is, do we sometimes think that we are smarter when it comes to making disciples than Jesus? Do we sometimes think that if we are clever enough, if we use the latest technique, if we can send them to the best discipling guru, if we send them off to a, a Bible school, then we'll see many more disciples made, and in half the time, Jesus modeled discipling perfectly for us. We look to him and he spoke in his word through men like the apostle Paul. We look to his word. Every other technique needs to match up with what we see from the one that we're making disciples of. And so our rule as disciple makers is this, watch Jesus, watch Jesus, see what he did, do what he did. And I should say even more than watching Jesus, Know Jesus, know him. I'm I'm reading, actually I'm listening to Packers knowing God right now. Convicting, convicting, know Jesus, know God. That's a part of competing according to the rules. The fifth aspect of how we are to do what we disciple makers do is found in verse six. It reads, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crop. I'm sure almost all of us desperately want to see fruits from the ministries that God has has us in. Sometimes we get to see it and sometimes we don't, right? But either way, we press on because the fruit is not for us and we are not responsible ultimately for the fruit. We are responsible for being faithful. And one of the ways that we are faithful is by working hard, working hard, I am preaching to myself, especially on this one. We need to work hard, and not just hard, but farmer hard. Bob, you're back there. Bob's a farmer in the church right here at Edgewood, and and I've gone over there once or twice, and I see the hard work that he puts in, and that's only part-time, right? Man, farmer hard is hard. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't have our rest, our Sabbaths. But this is to say that we need to check our leisure time. We have a job to do and it is a hard job and it requires our focus and it requires our time. What would happen if a farmer planted seeds and watered them as they were sprouting, but then because of the, of the summer heat and the difficulty and the iced tea that was calling our name, what would happen if they left to the, go to that iced tea and left those plants for good? I don't care how big those sprouts were, they would shrivel up and they would die in that summer heat. Are we working hard or hardly working? Are we working at the wrong things? Or are, are we working at the, the wrong things or are we busy with vine work? With vine work. You, you might be familiar with the book, The Trellis and the, Vlo- the Vine. Yes, a vine needs a trellis to grow on. But do you spend more time working on the structure than on what the the structure exists for? The vine, the life, is disciple-making. We need to work hard at this. If we are to be faithful to do this, I believe we will usually be the first ones to see the fruit, and we will be blessed. Lastly, dwell on the word. Dwell on the word. It says, think over what I say. You know, I think in our talk of scriptures, we often miss this one. Here's what I mean. We encourage a devoted time of scripture study. We sometimes encourage a devoted time of scripture meditation. We encourage being prayerful throughout the day. But here Paul is advocating something I think a little different. This is a dwelling on the word at various times of your day. Having it roll around in your mind, dwelling on the word, wrestling with it, not merely putting it on a shelf to come back to the next day. A part of abiding in Christ as we are told to do in John 15 is abiding in his word, thinking about it, meditating on it. And why should we do this? for the Lord will give you some uh, understanding in some things. Are you, are you paying attention? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says understanding in all things. So when we are struggling with how to disciple someone, realizing our own inadequacies, realizing we are not omnipotent, God will give us understanding. Even in the hardest discipleship, discipleship situations, if we wrestle with his word, we seek him and we abide in him, he will give us understanding. Praise God for that. So I just wanna close by mentioning this. Um, You know, I brought up the book, Smarter Than Jesus. And another part I I read in it uh, is when the author tells the story of going to a family ranch every summer. One summer he was there with his daughters and there was a chicken and the chicken had just hatched chicks, and there was a duck that had just hatched ducklings. And the the chick, uh, the chicken goes down to the water, and the chicks are there with their mother, and the duck happens to be there with the ducklings, and, and they're kind of mingled for a minute. Well, then the chicken walks off, and so do its chicks, except for one, the one that had kind of gotten most with the duck and the ducklings. That chick stayed behind, and when that duck started to swim off and those ducklings started to swim off, that chick tried to swim off. And those little girls saw this chick walking into the water and starting to drown, and they went and rescued it. They brought it back to the shore. Well, you know what it did? It took right off back for that duck and ducklings. Why? Because that chick had been imprinted upon by that duck and those ducklings, thinking it was one of them, thinking that I'm supposed to go with them. I'm supposed to be able to swim. I bring this up because as the author did as well, when a Christian, I believe when a Christian comes to faith in Christ, they are imprinted upon by what they see going on around them. If what they see is a group of people that go to meetings, that talk and memorize, and maybe even memorize in Greek, And that's pretty much all they do. That's what they are going to do. Now, if they see people that study, that love God's word, but then put it into practice by going and making disciples, by winning and sending, by winning and sending, that is almost certainly what that person is going to do. And so I just wanna encourage you, brothers and sisters. I think for a lot of us, we have cultures in our churches that are not about winning and sending. We have a lot of work to do ahead of us. It's hard work and I implore you, I exhort you brothers and sisters to do that hard work. It is worth it. It is a beautiful task that we have to make disciples, to go and make disciples. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us, your creation, your creatures. May we be faithful to do this hard work, but rewarding work. Lord, I pray that you would bless the rest of our times together, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us by the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.